Christ be magnified in us because he's worthy. Amen? What brings you joy? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Yes? What brings us joy? It's honestly a good question to ask someone else. Uh, Might be able to get to know somebody pretty well by asking them what brings them joy. I actually have a video this morning where that question was asked to people of many different generations. And the responses might uh, sound familiar, might surprise you. Uh, We'll see, but you guys can go ahead and roll that video if it's there. Being with my boyfriend and my little dog, he's so adorable. Um, And we've just been doing different activities together with him, like taking him to the dog park and like, you know, we're getting him trained and stuff. So having that bonding experience with him and my boyfriend is really fun. Spending time with my dog, I love my dog. Dogs, I like to look at dogs. I love dancing. So I dance tango and salsa. Without a doubt, Hands down, I get a little emotional. My daughter brings me the most joy. Uninterrupted playtime with my granddaughter. Seeing my grandchildren. My grandchildren, they just do, you know. True joy is just, you know, being outside, no cell reception, no connection to culture or people that are, you know, plugged into society. Just remove yourself completely. Quality time with my fiance, going for a hike, maybe something very simple, watching a really nice movie and just relaxing and knowing that we have each other and we can just enjoy our time together. I think it's very simple. It's very, very simple. At this stage of my life, sleep brings me the most joy. I would say getting together with my friends brings me the most joy. Probably have to be just working on myself. There's something about, you know, just developing myself to be able to help other people. Every day, every day brings me joy. I wake up feeling happy. I am so happy that people will even talk to me, particularly younger people. I'm shocked that younger people will talk to me. (laughs) So, um... Wow, some of that stuff we can identify with, our children, maybe even our dogs. The first time I watched that, I did not expect for a guy from the greatest generation to say his dog. When I saw that the millennial did, I'm like, of course. And then the guy, the older man, I'm like, oh, wow, okay, so it's across generations. But um, many of those things can bring us joy for a moment. But the thing is, what are we really getting after? What do we want? We desire a joy that satisfies completely, that doesn't go away, that's not fleeting. Um, It doesn't pass in the moment. So what could satisfy completely? Well, John the Baptist gets at that in our passage. We're going to be in John chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. We're just picking up right where we left off in the book of John Last week, so John three twenty two through thirty, and what we see in our passage is that uh, John the Baptist will will explain to us uh, where he gets a complete joy from, a, a fully satisfying joy, uh, a joy that doesn't run out, um, and so we can glean much wisdom from John the Baptist this morning. So the passage of scripture, if you're there with me, we'll have it on the on the screen. Uh, says this, verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went from, or went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim, because there was, because water was plentiful there. 
and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bridegroom is, or one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning I ask that you help um, clarify your word in our mind and our hearts that we, uh, we don't just hear your words and let them go in one ear and out the other, but we be changed by your word, Father. Um, if there's anything I, I need to communicate or don't need to communicate, I ask that you help me and lead me in that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, John the Baptist just some context for our passage. John the Baptist has gathered a following um, similar to that, that we see uh, with Jesus later on. And so John the Baptist is known in Judea as the guy in the countryside preaching and teaching and baptizing people. And he has amassed a following at this point and disciples. Similar to Jesus, he has disciples who go with him, who learn from him, who uh, do ministry with him. And it is those people those disciples who go to John and ask him with a sense of concern at best, or possibly a sense of jealousy, uh, they ask him what is going on. Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. But John, in our passage, responds by using what was probably a common maxim either in his teaching or just a common maxim of the day and says a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So this short statement that John says back to his disciples is to help them understand that uh, everything that Jesus is doing, people leaving John's ministry and going to Jesus' ministry, this is God's work. And there's no reason to be jealous, there's no reason to fight this, uh, which first is just a statement of maturity, right? That, that John can see that his ministry must decrease, as he says at the end of our passage, that he understands his role, and that if God is, is bringing prosperity to another ministry, then it's God that's doing the work. He doesn't need to fight it. Um, so there is a sense of maturity there, in John the Baptist, um, but this short statement was to help his followers understand that what's happening with people leaving John and going to Jesus is the Lord's work. And then John goes on to give further context to this statement. He states, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. In other words, I'm not the man of the show. I'm not the main actor. I'm not the guy. I'm not the Christ. 
but I've been sent before him to pave the way. And so we can see this in what we covered uh, several weeks ago. In John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23, uh, the writer John also says a similar thing. We have it on the screen. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John, John the Baptist. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So my role, John is saying, in this passage and in our passage today, my role is to pave the way for Christ and and to help his disciples understand this. He states that there, but then he gives a, a parable or analogy to help them understand this in even more deep way. And so in verse 29 of our passage, he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Uh, Now, that statement has deeper meaning that we can't get into today. Yes, Jesus is the groom of the church who is his bride. Um, And so we don't have time to get into all of that. But I don't think the reason why John the Baptist is stating this in our passage is for that purpose. Although I think God worked and there's deeper meaning in his statement. But... Um, I think that John is stating this to help us understand what he sees his role as. Because John is comparing himself to a groomsman or a best man. Now, here's the question. Who is a wedding about? Like, who's it about? In our culture, it's the bride most of the time, right? Uh, The bride and the groom, the people getting married. Is it ever about the groomsmen? No, it's never about the groomsmen. It's never about the bridesmaids. It's never about the best man, the maid of honor. It's never about those people. In fact, the groomsmen or the best man is only in the wedding because he supports the groom, right? That's the only reason why he's in the wedding. And if he, missed his po- if he missed his place, then that could throw the wedding off course. So um, I have an example of a groomsman, or actually a best man, who didn't know his role. I found this, this example on Twitter of a lady um, expressing her frustration about what recently happened at her wedding. And... Uh, Let me just read it to you. So she says, My husband and I finally reached a point where we could afford a huge blowout wedding to celebrate our lives with everyone we know and love. My husband's best friend, John, name redacted and just changed to John. My husband's best friend, John, was the best man and officiant of the wedding. So he's got multiple roles to play, best man and officiant. The setting was beautiful, she writes. Everyone seemed happy. Our families were overjoyed. The entire atmosphere felt moving. So moving, in fact, that John stopped 
mid-ceremony, just before we exchanged our vows to drop onto his knee and propose to his longtime girlfriend, Jane, and reveal to the crowd her pregnancy. I couldn't even hear the vows of my husband, my husband wrote or the rest of the ceremony over the noise of Jane's happy sobs, her very surprised family who were also guests at the wedding, and people seated nearby her congratulating her. Even the videographer frequently cut to her during the ceremony. During the, oh, it gets better. During the reception, <laughs> during the reception, when John gave his toast, he apologized. He apologized for being so caught up in the moment and then proceeded to talk about the future that he and Jane have together and never even mentioned me or my husband. John even went out of his way during the music to stop the band and ask for them to play a special song for, so that him and Jane could dance alone on the dance floor. I've never been an, an attention hog, and I wouldn't have even minded if he proposed after the ceremony, but weeks later, later I am still seething. Wow. Goodness, that is a best man who doesn't know his place. Um, <laughs> that is a guy who doesn't know his role. And, and uh, this whole, I mean, the fact that when I tell that, we all know that it's out of whack. J John's disciples would have known whenever he used this analogy of what the groomsman or what the friend of the groom, what his role was. John was only ever supposed to be the best man. He was supposed to be supporting the groom in his role during the wedding. And the best man rejoices at the voice of the groom as he woos his bride towards him and vows to love her and cherish her all the days of his life. And so it's from that and understanding that that, that John then is able to make the profound statement that therefore... This joy of mine is now complete. John understands that he's not the star of the show. He knows that Jesus is. John knows that he is sent and set um, on this earth to magnify, as we sang earlier, magnify Christ. That's who he is here to magnify. And he's now see, or he now sees that his role of preparing the way of the Lord is fulfilled, and so his joy is complete. He is satisfied in knowing that he has done what he has been called to earth to do. And so it's from that that then he's able to say, he must increase and I must decrease. So to kind of bridge all of this to our context uh, John's view of life and ministry stands in direct opposition to our society's way of viewing life. Uh, we, we live in this modern, or should, should I say postmodern world, that life is all about who? Me, right? That life is all about me. It's all about the self. It's all about self-validation. It's all about self-gratification. And so our culture tells us that we are not the groomsmen, but instead we are the star in our own show, right? 
life is all about us. And this is highlighted in a recent article I came across in Ambassador Magazine, not a very popular magazine, but Ambassador Magazine, speaking about the supposed encouraging message that Lady Gaga communicates frequently in her concerts. And this, this article is written by a psychologist who, who communicates this message, obviously, to her, um, to the people she counsels. And so I just want to read you this because this is interesting what she says. So Lady Gaga, the writer writes, Lady Gaga at a concert in Detroit spoke to the crowd and said, you can be whoever you want to be, she screamed to the cheering crowd. Don't look outside yourself to the glittery world of fame, but she stressed, be enlivened by your own amazing self. Remember that you are a superstar and you were born as one. So that's not that bad. But the author goes on to write, In order to be truly happy in fundamentally contented ways, we must learn how to become lead actors in our own life stories. As a society and as individuals, we have not yet fully learned that the one person who should immediately come to our rescue is ourself, and that the only hero we need to worship is ourself. Goodness. This is the common thought within our society and within our culture that we are the stars of our own show. Life is about you, my friend. So you go do you. That is the common thing taught, taught to our children, taught to us through the media we consume in one way or, or another, that life is all about us and satisfying ourselves, that we are the bridegroom. But John states something that is completely countercultural to that. And it's truly the way that we're called to live as Christians, that Christ must increase and I must decrease. That Christ is the star of the show. That I'm just a supporting actor. It's not about me. I'm here to support him. That my life and calling is to support the ministry and work of Jesus. That is what I'm here for. And John can now say, see that Jesus is taking the center stage. And therefore his joy is complete. My hope for you is that you're able to make the same statement as John. That your joy is complete because Christ is increasing in your life and that God is using your obedience to him to magnify him in you because you're living out the calling that God has on your life. Partner with him in ministry. So, First, we have to know, before we can get to that place, first we have to know, what is our calling? If we're going to be like John and, and make the same statement, we have to know what our calling is in life. Now, there's a common myth within the American evangelical church that has been perpetuated for, honestly, several generations. That is the myth that God only calls a select few people to ministry. And so, uh, and the way that we usually think of this is those select few people are pastors or sometimes missionaries, right? So pastors and missionaries are called to ministry, and they're called in mystical or magical ways, right? So uh, that, that Pierce one day woke up, and he went outside, and he saw written in the clouds, pastor. 
and he knew that's what God was calling him to. Or that um, I was eating my alphabet soup and, and God spelled out missionary in my alphabet soup. And I knew that's God's calling me to be a missionary. And we think that that's how God works. And therefore, if we didn't get a call like that, then clearly we're not called to ministry. And so we're just called to live a, a good, obedient Christian life, to be a part of church, to take care of our kids, to tithe and just press on in life. And that's it. But like I said, this is a common myth. This is not what we're called to. Um, instead, we are called to partner with Christ in ministry. Lost my place. Okay, so um, we cannot live in obedience to God and see Christ increase uh, through us and in us unless we're submitting to the call and purpose that he has on our life. You might have said yes to Jesus 20 years ago, but if you're living contrary to where he's called you to live and how he's called you to live, then he's not going to be increasing and magnifying through your life. That's not how it works. We submit in obedience. So what is God calling you to? This is a, a crisis in our society right now. Young people, we talk about this pretty often in, in youth, is, uh, there is there's a crisis right now where people don't know their purpose. But we have a society that's constantly looking for it. And we can even see this in the church. We don't know our role and purpose in the church. But every Christian has, has a calling. They have a general call on their life, and they have a specific call call on their life. And we can see this in John in our passage. Um, John the Baptist had a, a general and specific call. John was, as a Jewish man, before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, um, John was called to proclaim the truth of who God is to the world, and especially to his family. And that's notated in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which is commonly called the Shema. And uh, that was John's call as a Jewish man, but also his call as a Jewish man was to recognize the Messiah when he came and to join forces with him. Now, this is the general ministry call upon every Jewish man during his time, but that general call has, uh, can look unique depending on who it is, how it's manifested in different people's lives. And so John carried out this general call through the specific call God had on his life to be the prophet to his generation who called to prepare the way for the Messiah. That was his specific call to carry out the general call. I know that I'm using the word call a lot, but you guys, can, you guys are following with me, I hope. Um, so that's, that's John's uh, specific call. Now, as Christians, we have a general call in ministry as well. That general call is notated in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, where Jesus tells his followers, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So this is Jesus' final command to his followers, that we're to go make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them all that Christ commands. And this call on this general call on believers is also notated in different ways throughout the New Testament. For instance, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says that we're called to be ambassadors of Christ, that God makes his appeal to the lost through us. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we are called to always be ready to give an account for the hope that we have. 
to people who see that. Uh, Philippians 2.15 says that we are called to be shining as a light of the truth in our dark world. Uh, we are called to make disciples of Jesus and to minister as disciples of Jesus, to spread the good news of Jesus, that he lived the life we couldn't live, that he died the death that we deserve, and that he rose victoriously, defeating sin and death once for all, and that all you must do is place your faith in him, and eternal life is given to you right now. And you're reconciled with God. This is the general call, ministry call, on every believer's life. Now, how that specifically manifests in your life can look very different, right? So um, early on in my walk with Christ, I thought that I had to do everything. Um, I really did. I thought that if God cared about it, then I was supposed to be doing it as my life's call. And so I would hear about good work being done in the kingdom of God, and I'd think that I was supposed to be doing that with my life. And so I would hear about mercy, ministry, and caring for the sick and the poor. I would hear about uh, practicing apologetics, and I think that I needed to do that, or uh, leading worship, or doing international missions, or uh, street evangelism, or foster parenting, you name it. There are all kinds of things, and I would think that those things are my life's calling. If God cared about it, then I had to be doing it. But the problem is one person cannot do all of those things, or at least not do them well. Just because it comes from heaven doesn't mean it has your name on it. But there is something that does. And so what is our specific calling? As Christians... Now, we have this general call, but God has uniquely gifted you and uniquely placed you and uniquely equipped you for specific ministry in a specific time. It's not a coincidence. So God uh, might have given you a passion for international missions, and he's calling you to surrender a career so that you go to the mission field. That's a possibility. Or God might have also called you to be on mission in the place that he already has you in the little league fields or, or um, at your workplace. Um, God might have called you to do ministry where he already has you and that he's given you an opportunity to do so. So let me ask again, what has God called you to? What is your ministry calling? What's the ministry calling upon your life? And how do we know what it is? Um, how do we know what it is? I think a lot of us, maybe we, hopefully, we do know what that is specifically. But if you don't, I have three ways that you can find that out. Uh, those three ways are, first, to spend time in prayer asking God to show you your calling in ministry. He's the one who placed the call on your life, so why don't you just ask him? Um, so, uh, spend time in prayer. Second is begin serving in the church and look for how God uniquely uses you and the gifts that he's given you. Those things will be affirmed in the body of Christ, and you can then step into that all the more. And then third, from that, then begin actively looking for opportunities to use the gifts he's given you where he's already placed you. If you are someone who has a gift of hospitality, then lean into that and be the most hospitable person in your workplace. Be the per person that, that bakes cookies for, for everyone for their birthday. Be the hospitable person in your workplace. Or if your gift is encouragement, then be the most encouraging person that you can be to the people around you. This is, and those are just two examples, but we can apply those things in, in our workplace, but then also 
I think that uh, sometimes God gives us specific calling outside of that. Uh, for instance, Jay Fine is uh, working alongside an organization that helps rescue kids from abuse. Um, and he sees God using him in that way. Or uh, some of you have uh, specific callings that you see God working in your life. Um, and that is incredible. But we have to lean on him and ask him, Lord, where are you calling me? Where have you gifted me? Where have you equipped me to step into that? I believe that if we do these things, God will show uh, us at some point or time that our what our specific ministry calling is. Uh, John the Baptist knew his specific ministry call. And it's only in knowing that his call had been fulfilled that he was able to proclaim that this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase and I must decrease. And my prayer for you is that you lean into the calling that God has placed on your life. Because if you do, I believe that you will see Christ magnified in your life, and also your joy will be complete. This life is all about Jesus. He's the star of the show. And we are only satisfied, truly satisfied, when we know our proper place in that, in that show. And so um, I would love to talk to you guys if you, if you have questions uh, about maybe where you think God might be calling you specifically. Um, I would love to talk to you more about all of that at the end of the, the service. Um, or if you just need prayer to see maybe where God might be calling you. He has a call upon your life. And here, we'll end with this. Just a quick note. Sometimes we can get caught up in this idea. Doubt is often most manifest in the person who's, who God is not working through. And so we can be wrestling with things and wrestling with doubt, but it's because we're not surrendering ourselves for God to be working through us. It's when God is working through us that our faith is almost, almost always most strengthened. And so you might be finding yourself in a place where you're saying, uh, well, geez, I don't even know, like, has God even called me? Or, or maybe you're even wrestling, is God even real? And my challenge to you is surrender to him and begin asking this question, where has God purposed your life and uniquely equipped you and placed you for? And as you lean into that, you will see God move through you in miraculous ways. He will build you up, he will strengthen you, and your joy will be complete. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and we thank you for the fact that you bestow joy upon your people that we don't have to just chase the fleeting pleasures of this world, but instead that joy can be found, uh, not just can be, but can only be found truly in you, a satisfying joy that never departs. Um, Father, help us to seek you and seek to know where you've called us. Um, you have a calling upon our lives, a general one and a specific one. And so, Lord, Help us to lean into that this morning. Um, in a min minute, as we take the Lord's Supper, uh, Father, I, I ask that um, you help us to remember your uh, body broken for us on the cross, uh, your blood shed for us, that it's only by that, it's only by what Christ has done for us on the cross that our joy can be complete, that we can be satisfied in you because we've been ransomed and, and our sins have been paid for. Now we can um, 
fully be satisfied in you in your presence. And so, Father, um, help us to understand that. Uh, help us to see that this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name.